that we come to these four words, hallowed be thy name. What do these words mean? Perhaps when we hear that word hallowed, we think of the hallowed corridors of power or the porticos of an Oxford or Cambridge college with the hallowed porticos of learning or whatever it is, something like that. Or maybe we think of the churches we know called All Hallows. Or maybe we think of All Hallows, All Saints Day and Halloween. It's amazing what you can find in Google, isn't it? All Hallows by the Tower was the first name of a church with that name that came in. In London, it's the oldest church in the city of London, but still serving the city today, so it's strapline says. But... A useful definition of hallowed, I found was this, honour as holy, honour as holy, or make holy, or consecrate, or greatly revere and honour. The first prayer that is in the Lord's Prayer, after the greeting, Our Father who art in heaven, is a prayer for God. Hallowed be thy name. It's a prayer about God, about what we, what we want God, who we want to God to be, if you like, to be seen as in this world. Honour, may God be honoured as holy. And I venture to suggest that's where all our petitions really should start. When we come to God, our first, our first priority is that God's name be honoured. That he be regarded as the one who is, in, who is in and over all things. He is all powerful, all present, always faithful and good. He is our creator, our sustainer and ultimately our judge. Our focus, therefore, should be on his honour and praise at all times as a priority. Whatever the circumstances in which we find ourselves, which bring us in desperation to prayer, because often prayer is what we come to in desperation. It's the last resort rather than the first resort in our lives. But God, Jesus wanted his disciples to, to, to come to God as the first and priority in their lives. This is what prayer is all about, first of all, acknowledging God. The message, actually, which is not a translation of the Bible, but is often very helpful in us our understanding of what the scripture is saying to us, has a very interesting paraphrase for these four words. It says, reveal who you are. Reveal who you are. Four words he managed to find to reveal. Reveal who you are. And I think that is very, very helpful to us. What we're wanting is that God shows himself as who he is. And I think that's not just when we're coming to asking that God reveals himself for who he is to us, but that God reveals himself for who he is to those around and about us, to the whole world. We want the whole world to know that this is God. Reveal who you are. When we choose our children's names, we do so perhaps because we like the name, or the, perhaps because we like the meaning of the name, 
or maybe because the name has an association with an event from the past, or a person that we knew and loved, so we may name somebody after that person, for example. I expect you're all thinking now about your children's names. Why did I choose that name? <laughs> and the arguments you may have had about between how you named your children. It's great fun, isn't it? For the Jew, the name was chosen to mean something. And in God's case, his name is to identify him. His name, when we talk about honouring the name of God, we're talking about the name identifying God for who he is. The names we use of God are descriptive of his nature. They reveal his character. So we have, in the Old Testament, we have these names, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. Jehovah Nisai, the Lord our banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Ra'a, the Lord our shepherd. There we are, there's a few future sermon topics for you, Laurie, for, the, okay, for a series. So much isn't there in the name of the Lord. I can't do that. I can't even touch that today. Jesus has given us another name, the Lord our Father, our Father who art in heaven. May people honour and respect you as Father, as the God who is close. These names are all there to help us to remember the character of God and to pass on our experience of him to others. They are to help our faith to focus on him so that in the particular circumstances and situation which we may find ourselves, recognising that part of the character of God which is of help to us, can help us, can help us forward and to find an answer in the praying situation which we're in. It's as if right at the start of this psalm we are saying, You are Lord. I'm acknowledging you as Lord. Show me something of your character which will help me to understand the circumstances in which I am now and the circumstances of your world that you want to bring before me as I come in my prayer to you. It's as if we're saying, Reveal yourself not only to me, but also to all those who need to know that there is a saving God who cares for his creation. All of that in those four words, hallowed be thy name. The way in which, of course, we best understand the nature of God, the way in which we can relate to him most closely and understand who he is, is through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's why I've chosen, actually, to use the story of the transfiguration to try and help us to understand something of hallowed be thy name. It's a story we, we reached in our home group studies a couple of weeks ago, so it's one that's been on my mind alongside of preparing for this morning. I think this helps us to understand something of the Lord's Prayer. As I said with the earlier talk, with, particularly with the children, for the disciples, when they first met Jesus, he appeared as an ordinary man. He looked like a man, spoke like a man, and held all the other attributes of a man. He behaved in extraordinary ways and did extraordinary things, but essentially he lived in a human way. He was a leader, but he was still a human part of the team. 
Never before in Jewish history had God himself come to speak with men. We find in other religions, of course, of the time, particularly amongst the Greeks, that the gods were always coming down and mixing with human beings, weren't they? But for the Jew, God was very different. God was remote. He was something completely other. He was different. He was transcendent. He was incapable of being approached by human beings unless, for special reasons, you were set aside for that purpose. And you could only come to God, directly to God, after careful preparation. God revealed himself primarily through prophets, people who had visions of God like Moses and Elijah, who appear in that transfiguration story that we read. And if you think about it, it's not difficult when you stop to think about it to understand why the people amongst whom Jesus lived and worked found it so difficult to think of Jesus as God against that background. It's understandable that some reached the conclusion that his claims were blasphemous. I think Jesus understood that the disclosure of his true identity would eventually lead to his death. And that's perhaps why at the end of this particular encounter between the three disciples and himself and Moses and Elijah on the mountain in this way, he tells them to keep this to themselves. He wants to keep control of the timing of his revelation of himself uh, until the time has come when he appears and is arrested and crucified. And I'm guessing, but I suspect then, that those three disciples kept that story to themselves as Jesus had told them to do until after his death and resurrection at least. Because you might say, well, if Jesus is come to reveal God to us, why did he not make this clearer to those who were there? But so much of part of part of the revelation of the nature of God was tied up in his death and his resurrection. He could not reveal God's true nature to us without going through that experience. That God wants us to be completely forgiven. With this experience of the Father, though, the three disciples privileged to be present would know that Jesus was more than just a man, that he was divine. It would deeply impact the way they treated Jesus and respected him. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it, what the transfiguration was like, what this particular experience was for the for the, for the three disciples. We probably ourselves never had that sort of experience of Jesus being revealed to us in that way. And yet we have the story and we can imagine it in some way in our own minds. There are a number of features which point backwards from the story of the transfiguration to Exodus chapter 24. I'm just going to read you a few verses from the end of Exodus 24, which is about Moses going up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up or on up the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain 40 days 
and 40 nights. And maybe as you think of that passage and go alongside the transfiguration, you'll realize the, 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 the similarities. There is reference to them going up a mountain. Significant. There is reference to the cloud covering, cut coming. There is the six-day period, six days after Peter's confession, six days after that they went up the mountain. And then... Um, and these things remind us that when we come into his presence we need to treat him with awe and wonder we can't take we can't assume we're just coming into the presence of another human being we have to recognize we're coming into the presence of God this was a remote experience for Moses What ties these two stories together is that both are about the revelation of the glory of God and his power and his difference from us. But there are also contrasts between these two stories. And the contrast is that Moses was separate, Moses was different, whereas the disciples were just like ordinary ordinary humans. Moses had been set aside as somebody special for this particular experience, the three disciples were just people who were ordinary fishermen who were able to come into this experience of Jesus as God. So, but, but perhaps the most critical and interesting thing, I think, about the story of the transfiguration is the instruction that God gave to the disciples I don't know whether you noticed this as we read through it, but I think what I particularly want you to take from this is the instruction. This is my son whom I love, the voice that came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. And there's another thing when we come to prayer, isn't there? Actually, when we're coming into the presence of God, the first thing to do is to listen to God, not to come with our list of things we want. The first thing, listen to God. Okay. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That's why we sung that hymn, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord is here. And sometimes we just don't have time listen whilst we can address God as father we cannot treat him as just one of us the name of God is to be treated as holy because God is holy God's holiness and his nature are not two things they are but one God's holiness is his nature and his nature is is his holiness. I came across these words from, written by um, a French philosopher and psychologist. He said this, the most perfect idea of God that we can form in this life is that of an independent, unique, infinite, eternal, omnipotent, immutable, intelligent and free first cause whose power extends over all things. Uh, independent, unique, 
infinite, eternal, omnipotent, immutable, intelligent and free. And his power extends over all things. So what an amazing privilege it is that we're, that we're told by Jesus to actually come and pray to this unique amazing being and to know that he listens he listens to us yeah and when we come to god what is god wanting to say to us have we properly acknowledged that we do not deserve to be in his presence have we acknowledged our dependence on him how can we do this in practice How can we honour the name of God? Well, it's important that in our collective worship we show appropriate and proper reverence for God. Sometimes, perhaps, we can become, treat him over-familiarly. Then we need to set aside time to listen to God rather than spending our prayer time asking him just for things we want. Sometimes we need just times of silence in the presence of God when we can escape away from all the things that pressure us and spend time allowing God to speak to us. And then I suppose there's also that need to challenge those who take the name of the Lord in vain. There's a commandment, well, the fourth commandment said, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Many people have have acted taking the name of God to support what they wanted to do through the centuries. And we have to be very careful to avoid that sort of danger. People who say, I do this in the name of God. But actually, they're doing what they want to do. They've interpreted what they thought God was saying, but they've not really listened to God And the quality of their actions and their behaviour suggests that they're not following the true God in what they're doing. And they use the name of God to abuse others. Even in the name of God there have been crusades and, and witch hunts and all these sorts of things. And we've got to be very careful that we don't fall into that temptation just because we are, we are sort of grown up, intelligent, you know, modern people well, there's still possible that these things can, can, can creep into our society if we're not very careful to make sure that we honour God for who he really is and don't crave God's name in an inappropriate way. So our behaviour towards other people actually shows our respect for and love for God, that we've taken that time to listen to him and allow his true nature into our own lives and to govern the things that we do. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. How important this prayer is. Hallowed be your name. When you look at it from that sort of angle, we're giving God the priority and allowing his character to speak to us in whatever situation we're in. I talked earlier about dazzling lights and um, my mind was taken back to when I was thinking about dazzling lights to 2008 
when we went to China and Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong's been in the news, incidentally, this week because it's 20 years since the handover to the Chinese authority. Another place we need to pray for. A lot of Christians in Hong Kong and um, uh, a place we, we should pray for because of the potential com- for conflicts there. Um, and we stood and watched the lights around Hong Kong Harbour and Shanghai Harbour. Um, if you haven't you've ever been there, you've got these huge, massive skyscraper towers all with thousands and thousands of lights blazing with all the names of the banks and the massive organization you know, Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation HSBC in other words you know, and, and we looked around and uh, JP Morgan and the Bank of America and Chase Manhattan and all these big names that you hear on and within two weeks of that standing there looking at all those lights the banking crisis was on us Lehman Brothers crashed and some of these other banks were in serious trouble. You know, these mo- monument, monumental towers, lights, speaking out the names of all the modern gods that we worship, because they're the ones who supply us with money. God lives in dazzling, unapproachable light, and yet he speaks his name to us. He speaks his quality and his character to us. He reveals himself to us. In a, in a, it's, it's incredible, really, when you think of it. That's, what, that, that, that's who God is. God reveals himself to us. And unlike all those other lights that dazzle, you know, those, those lights fade and fail, um, God will never fail. God is always the same. He is everlasting from beginning to end. And so God can be trusted and we can fix our lives and live our lives independence upon the certainty that the God who is revealed to us in scripture is the only God and is the one we can follow and worship God wants to reveal himself to us he wants to reveal himself to all those who live around us so that the world may be the place that he wants it to be where people do live in peace and harmony where people do not take his name in vain where people honour and give glory to him for who he is All those lights are nothing compared with the dazzling light who is God, whose name is to be honoured and praised. He is the Lord, God Almighty, the Lord, my healer, my redeemer, my saviour, simply the Lord. So let's just spend a few moments in silence before the Lord, listening to him, not hearing my words, but hearing his words to us today. Let's be quiet.